On the fifth Sunday in January, we, um, we set up that Sunday as a start to what we've called the growing season. And um, we had everybody come together that evening uh, on the fifth Sunday in January, it's the 29th, I believe. <clears throat> and, uh, and then we said, we want you to commit to getting together in formal small groups, informal small groups, classes, just one-on-one, whatever it is, in your family. We had a lot of different ideas, and we said we want you to think about these things. We want you to be praying about growth. We want you to be praying about spiritual maturity. And we're all going to come back on the fifth Sunday in April, and we're going to talk about what God has done. So we have one week, one week to process all that, one week to maybe get together and talk about the things that God has done with one another. And I want to encourage everybody to come back next Sunday night, April 30th. We'll gather here. We'll have our friends from uh, the Iglesia de Cristo on Johnson Street with us. We'll have our friends from the Lau congregation that meets here with us. And then we'll have a meal together afterwards. Now, you may be thinking, oh, wait, all this time has gone by, and I don't know that I've ever talk to anybody about what God is doing. That's okay, you got a week. You can do a lot in a week. Because it might just be one conversation that you have with somebody this week that might put it all in perspective. And so why don't you do that today or do that this week? But wherever you've seen God at work in your life or the life of others, and if it's something that is encouraging, please come and share it because that's how we encourage one another is to talk about the things that God is doing. That'll be next Sunday night at 6 o'clock right here. So if you have small groups, uh, meet in your small groups, but meet up here in your small groups together that night. Um, Everybody's going to come together. Call them all in. Call in all the friends tomorrow or next week, next Sunday night. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would bless us in this uh, time that we spend in your word. I pray that uh, you'll be with me to be an effective communicator. I pray that you'll be with me to uh, preach this word, not for my own sake, but for the sake of all of us who hear this word and who strive to put this word into action. And I pray that you'll be with us as a congregation that hears this word. And um, Father, I pray that it is truly a, a word from you, that your spirit is active in this and that all of us are shaped and that we grow in the application and in the uh, embracing of your word. Let us own it in our heart, Father. And let us hear the things that we receive and we welcome. And God, do help us to hear those things and to receive those things that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are... um, if you've been around here any time at all, or if this is your first time here, we're in the process of dreaming about the future, about dreaming uh, for the next three years. We've still got those green cards out there that allow you to give pledges for the, the remodeling. We've got, we've got all of our lights hooked up and active now. Somebody said, what do you think of them? And I said, they're, they're truly white lights. I mean, they're, uh, they're very bright, and they're still in the process of being rigged up. But it's little things like this that we're going to be working on that maybe in time we may not even notice, but they'll be the things that bless us as we move forward, things and resources that uh, we can use. 
But we've also been focusing on building up the church. We've been focusing on building up the spiritual fellowship and the spiritual growth of this body. And we've been at this for years. We've been at this for a long time, depending on how you want to count it. But we've been focused on it for at least the last two years um, in in a concentrated way. And so I'm excited about what can be. And I'm excited about what could happen if, if God, if we can truly open up and let God work on us in the next three years, what it might be like around here in 2020. Now, in the year 2020, I'm going to give you one prediction that uh, seems to be pretty, um, pretty reliable. Uh, and there's a lot of you who know more about this than I do, and if you want to challenge me on it, don't because I don't really care but uh, they say that in three years because I'm just making a point they say that in three years your communication networks are going to move up to 5g you heard about this Logan you've heard see so you agree with me in three years right okay see I got Logan agreeing with me and he knows this so if you disagree with that talk to Logan all right because I don't care because I'm just making a point and um But, th- but really, it's, it's interesting to see. It's like, you know, right now we're at 4G. And, and somebody, you know, I remember 1G. Hey, I remember 0G. I remember 0G was me having an old phone hanging on my wall that, we, that I spliced into the wiring at my house. And, uh, um, yeah, but anyway, the, uh, we don't even know what this is going to look like, this 5G and all the technology and what it might be. But they say that in three years we're going to have it. Oh, in three years, the 5G I would like to see us excel in as a church would be this colorful little phrase here that I was working on this week. This is very much an alliterative preacher phrase. Growing in the grace of giving without greed or guilt. Take that home with you and own that. Growing in the grace of of giving without greed or guilt. When, uh, when you preach about giving, it's always interesting, the comments that I get. People will tell me, you know, it really is difficult to preach on giving. And, and this comes from people who don't preach. And I'm thinking, well, now wait, are you saying it's difficult for me to preach on giving? Or is it difficult for you when I preach on giving? Or do you just feel sympathy towards me? I think some people are worried. They're like, oh, I know, because as soon as you preach on giving, somebody's going to think you're meddling. Well, yeah, but those people think that every sermon is meddling. So what are you going to do about it? I think there is something awkward in the preaching about money and about giving. Because we tend to to think that... um, it's just some sort of fundraising appeal. And I'm just going to go ahead and name that awkwardness now so that we can shove it aside. Because here's the truth. It's in Scripture. It's in the Bible. And, and if you don't think that maybe this is the best thing for a Sunday morning sermon, well, I didn't write the Bible. <laughs> so don't take it up with me. And there's so much that we could look at, and I will say this, I think the more appropriate place for this might be in some small groups, some study groups, some Bible classes. Maybe some of you feel motivated to teach that. 
I'm going to encourage you to talk with me, talk with any of our shepherds. There are some principles that have to do with money, some wisdom, some, some money wisdom and some giving wisdom, some generosity wisdom that we need to pass on with one another. And we've got people who excel at that. And now sometimes we want to avoid such a thing and we say, well, I don't know, that's a very private, uh, uh, you know, that's a very private dimension, a very private subject. And, uh, and, and so, you know, Scripture says, uh, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. True, but it doesn't say that they can't be on the same set of shoulders, all right? Uh, there, there is a way in which we teach from one generation to the next these things that have to do with money and giving and the resources that we share. In fact, one of the marks of the early church that made them stand out. Read those first few chapters of Acts. Come to Larry's class in here in the auditorium on Acts. One of the things that made that church stand out was that they would share in their material goods. And, and people noticed that in the world around them and said, you know, they, they share these things. They hold everything in common. They're not, they were open about it. So I think there is a place for some classes and some teaching on this. But right now, since we're focusing on the growing season, I want to focus on one verse and share it with you and make some observations. Of course, understanding that there's so much more than this, and we'll just be scratching the surface. I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. Its words are on the screen. You can read along in your Bible if you want. Paul's writing what may really be his third letter to the Corinthians. And he says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. First, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And second, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. So this is um, Paul's word to these Corinthians. And he's, he's talking about what, what, what they had, a plan to bring some relief to believers in Jerusalem. 
And again, they're sharing, but they're not just sharing right there in their community, but they're sharing with others. Uh, How much this resembles our Sunday pass the plate and collect, well, you'll have to decide as much as I do. But the principle of giving is there, and the principle of growing in the grace of giving. Giving in this verse is described as a grace. How do we use that word grace? We use that grace maybe to refer to agility. That if somebody uh, is, is graceful or they, they move gracefully, that they move with agility. Uh, we may use that word to mean that somebody is, is cultured and very appropriate. What a graceful person. Uh, you said that so gracefully, meaning that you said a difficult thing or a hard thing, but you said it in a way that just was so appropriate. We may also use the term grace to refer to God's favor. God saves us by His grace, meaning that He acts on our behalf even though we don't deserve it. So a grace can also be a kind of a favor, a kind of an honor. If you've ever been honored and you don't feel like you deserved it. And I'm sure that many of you have had that experience. You've been honored. You've been honored by someone, maybe for something you did, or, or maybe for what you mean in their life, and you honestly felt like, I really, didn't, I really didn't do anything here. You've experienced some measure of grace. A grace is a special honor or a favor bestowed on someone, and it could even mean a special talent or a privilege or a responsibility. So when God gives us the grace of giving, He is giving us this special privilege and honor and talent to be as sharing and generous as His Spirit working in us will allow. Now, one of the ways that we grow in that kind of grace and giving then is to get rid of some of the two extremes that often... often corrupt the grace of giving and one of those is to give without greed i've got uh i've got three i i I spent some time thinking through okay well how does this show up i mean and and it isn't a contradiction how do you give with greed i mean if you're greedy you don't give if you're greedy you're stingy you hold on to things right i think there are ways that we give with some measure of greed corrupting our giving. Um, And this is what we need to grow out of. Each one of these is an I. M-I-C-I-H-I. Material insecurity. When we give with material insecurity, we have a fear that there's not going to be enough stuff for us. Or we're giving with the worry That we've got all this other stuff that we're committed to. We've got bills to pay. We've got things to do. We've got stuff we need or stuff we want. And remember that Paul in this scripture says, A farmer who only plants a few seeds is going to get a small crop. You always want a good yield in your crop. You want to plant a little bit and get a lot. But at some point... Just the physics of it is not going to work out. If you only plant a few seeds, then you're not going to get very much food out of that. It's better to put out more seed 
in the hopes of receiving a larger crop. But, but you understand that Paul's using a farming agriculture metaphor here. And he's trying to say that you, you've, you've, got to, you've got to understand that, that by giving, that by growing in the grace of giving, you're going to get back as you give out. Now, Paul, and by the way, we're, we're going to come to the, the, the dark side of that as we move down this list. But uh, so much of our, well, look at again what Paul says. Let me, let me take you back. Let me take you back to the first few verses of that uh, where he says, um, he says, remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds, verse 6, will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Verse 8. It's not just that we know we're going to get back because we've done a good job of planting a lot of seed or being very generous, but we have this trust that God will generously provide all you need. John Keller said it this morning as he was leading us through the prayers around the, the, the giving. That when we give, we are acknowledging in some way that everything we have depends on God. We are demonstrating trust. When you took of the bread and the cup this morning, you knew that that had to do with the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And that you were participating in the crucifixion of Christ, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. Now you know deep inside that that's bread and grape juice, but you also know that that is symbolic of participating in a larger spiritual reality, which is even more real than what we've got right here. Well then, can we not understand in the same way that our apps and these pieces of plastic and hunks of metal and, and uh, like this and these papers that are in our wallets, that these things too are also symbols of trust. We even put that phrase on that money. In God we trust. They all start putting that on the credit cards. Be a little handy little reminder, wouldn't it? When we give those things, we're not paying a temple tax. We are participating in a larger reality of trust. In verse 8 of this uh, text, God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need. And when you have everything you need, you will have plenty left over to share with others. Now, when we have material insecurity, we are not convinced about that plenty of leftover to share with others. When we have so much of our extra tied up in things and stuff and wants and desires, and the powers of the world, trust me, they know how to get into, get their hooks into that extra disposable income. And when we get wrapped into that, then we don't have as much to share. We become, and really, it's not even about sharing it. It's about becoming more insecure about all that we have. Another way that you see giving with greed is the controlling interest. Yeah, I guess it was right about the time that uh, the government started taxing people's income. 
that a lot of those early movies, and I always remember this. I always remember it on things like Laurel and Hardy and, and uh, Little Rascals and stuff like that, all those Hal Roach comedies, you know. I always remembered this phrase because then growing up in church, whenever there was some fight about the way that the church was spending the money and somebody say, would say something like, I give every Sunday, and because I give every Sunday, I want to say in how we spend the money. It always remembered me. There'd always be some character in those movies that would say, I'm a taxpayer and I demand my rights. And I guess even as a younger person, I always noticed the similarity between those two. When we give with the idea that we're getting a controlling interest, I think we need to pray about that. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a say. I'm going to commend this congregation. This congregation, we're always big on everybody having a say, everybody talking about how we use the funds, how we spend the funds. That's important. It's important to the leadership here. It's important to all of you. I want you to know, I mean, our shepherds are eager to talk with you anytime about the way things are done but but just don't be don't be silent about it i don't know that any of you do this and i hope you don't and and if you do i'm, I'm not i'm not trying to again i told i warned you I'm, we're going to get through some awkward you know territory here but i, I just I'm, I'm mentioning this because i know that this can be a spiritual problem that when we, we withhold our giving because we're overly concerned about what's going to be done with the money that we're giving away, maybe we're missing the point of giving. And by the way, this passage in Corinthians says, each of you must purpose in your own heart what to give. Not because you're being forced to, not because you're being pressured to, it starts here. You have the choice of what to give. You remember that little story? Oh, everybody gets so terrified of it in Acts where, where Ananias and Sapphira bring the money and they say, oh yeah, this is everything. This is everything. And then they get struck dead. And, you know, and they're both told beforehand, at any time you could have said, ah, this is half the proceeds. The other half, you know, we're just going to we're, we're gonna keep it. We're, why? Well, you know, we're going to build a little bungalow over here. And so, you know, okay, they could have done anything they wanted. And the apostles even say, you didn't have to lie to all of us. It's your money. You could do whatever you want with it. I mean, that principle is huge in giving. We're never going to tell you what you must give. No one's going to do that here. So you don't have to feel like you ever have to withhold anything. If you disagree with something, then maybe we need to hear that disagreement. But you see this happen in the history of the church. And there have been bitter fights over the way money is spent. There's moments in our history where this happens. And the real problem with it is God isn't glorified when that is happening. Remember that Paul told the Corinthians that when they give, whatever they give, it could have been 100% of their income, it could have been 2% of their income. It didn't matter. He didn't specify amount. But if they would give, and they would give freely, and they would give as they purposed in their heart, then the needs were going to be met, and God would be glorified. And that's the whole point of giving. In the name of the Lord. Hmm. i got to tell you my story that I learned on that years ago. In another state, in another time, another church, a long time ago, in a galaxy far away, we had, these, we had a, a, a house adjacent to our church property, and it, it burned down. 
And so we saw that as an opportunity to help these people who are our next-door neighbors. And, and, and I was really, I, I'm not going to blame anybody at that church. I was really thinking about it, and I was thinking, I want us, I want our church to do something to, to show others that we're responding to our neighbor, and, and we're there, and, you know, and, and I, I, I'm going to admit to you, I'm going to confess my sin in the back of my mind. I was thinking, oh, and by the way, you know, if they're going to sell the property or something, then we, will, we, we want first dibs on it. So we were going to be generous, you know. Now, I'm not saying that everybody was thinking that. I was thinking all of this. So we were all prepared. My, my neighbor, my church neighbor from the uh, Presbyterian church came over and said, uh, you know, he said, we want to help the family out too. And I said, don't worry. We've got it all covered. We're in control here. We're going to have all the money that they need. He said, I don't care who gets the attention. I just want the gift to be given in the name of Christ. And we'll gladly give you the money that we raised, and you can add it into what you give. I felt like I was that tall. He put me in my place. I needed to hear it. And I've learned ever since then that all gifts that matter are given in the name of Christ. And you'll notice that Paul says, I'm not, you know, they're going to talk about you. And he says, but we're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're giving this gift in the name of Christ. Why? Because we believe that he meets all needs. Well, moving on, the dark side of that idea of giving to get is this idea of the heavenly investment. We give with greed when we give thinking that God's going to give back to us. So I'm going to give more so I can get more back. It's sort of like a divine stock market that if we invest uh, you know, at this level, then we're going to get back more in material wealth. The sad result, this is the sad result of scriptures like this being twisted over the years. This is the sad result of televangelists and non-televangelists who preach a gospel that promises material things. I think most of us here are mature enough to overcome that. But I'm going to tell you, if, if we're giving so that we can play the heavenly stock market, you'd be better off taking that same amount and just playing the stock market. Because God's not going to be fooled by our games. And the motivation is not faith, it's not trust, it's greed. Now I understand when people say, hey, you can't outgive God. That's right. But God doesn't wait for us to give before he gives back. God doesn't wait for us, you know, that, hey God, I got a $100 bill and I know you're wanting it. Mm. Oh, you give me that $100 bill, I'm going to hold on to it for a few years and I'm going to give you back 110 Wow, God's given back at 10%. God has already given to us. Even before you and I were born, God gave. You and I are the recipients of great gifts. So when we're giving back, we're the ones who are indebted, if you want to think of it like that. But really, it's about spiritual maturity. God's teaching us to be generous as it is his character and nature to be generous. Now, these things are not the things that I think concern us the most. I think where we get concerned is the giving without guilt. I was thinking about this and thinking about all of my efforts to grow as a generous giver. And I was thinking about things that I've said to myself and I've heard others say and I've thought about it. And whenever there's an opportunity to give, here are some of the common phrases and maybe you'll think of of some others that fit. 
I notice that after a while, they all become variations of one another. I never think about giving at the right time. You know that moment. Oh, yeah, I got to give. Lord's Supper. And then, oh, man, they conveniently passed the plate. I wasn't expecting that. Um, you know, like we have a lot of options right there. Passing this plate is separate apart from the Lord's Supper. I know this is a big shock, but we're going to pass it after communion. <laughs> wow, that's only the way you've done it for the last 50 years. And, and so then we get there, and we're like, oh, oh, I don't have anything to give. And we start searching around, you know, we got a few, few dollars in our wallet. Oh, I don't have anything else. Then we started coming out with these wonderful apps because we know that everybody carries cards. Yay, now I'm ready for that. Wait, I didn't set everything up. I'll get it later this week. I never think about giving at the right time, so I feel guilty. Well, turn that guilt into action. Scripture teaches us to be intentional about giving. Nothing happens if we're not intentional. This is what that lay-by-in-store is all about. I used to hear that growing up, and I heard about this lay-by-in-store, and I wondered if they were a competitor with Walmart and you know, Ben Franklin's, a five-and-dime, the lay-by-in-store thought maybe it was a charity place or something like that you know but but what is that you know, there's this wonderful king james english which just simply means think about what you're going to give ahead of time be ready that's what paul's saying to the church think about it be prepared have something ready to give put it aside separate it out you do whatever intentional action helps you to grow as a giver and then guess what? You won't experience as much guilt. Some of you put your giving on a regular rotating basis. That's great. Some of you say, I would never do that. That's fine. Some of you always have something, maybe a little jar that you put some cash in. That's great. Some of you have a few dollars that you have. You give them to the kids. They're ready to put them in the jar. Or you take it and you put it in an envelope system. That's great. I don't care what you do. If it works for you and helps you to be intentional so that you can lay by in store, please do it. Whatever it is. But moving down on the list. That one's an easy one. This one, though, gets a little more painful. Sometimes we guilt ourselves and say, you know, I cannot give enough to make a difference. That's That's unfortunate. Because God never asks us to give what we don't have. Remember the parable of the servants? They get lined up and they're given the talents. And by the way, as Kent Snyder showed us recently, if you look at the one in Luke, boy, it's even different, that, the, the version of that parable. But the point is that everybody's given different amounts. Somebody's given a different amount. And, you know, this guy gets ten, this guy gets five, this guy gets one, or, you know, five, two, and one, whatever it is. They start out that way. The man with the one talent who takes it and hides it and brings it back without any kind of return on it is not judged because he didn't make as much as the fellow who was given five. He's judged on what he did with what he had. So why do we compare ourselves to others when we're missing out on the opportunity to grow in this grace? Maybe this guilt is motivated by so many other things that we beat ourselves up about it and our fear is about being judged. Maybe we're afraid that somebody's going to see how much we're giving. That's why we have what I think in the church world we call uh, uh, contribution origami. 
which is all of the different ways. I, you know, back before I, be, you know, I joined the, uh, the, the clergy, you know, I used to be in the counting room at, at the Winslow Church, and man, people had some creative ways of, of, forming, of, of folding their checks and their money. Now, some of them, I think, were just fidgeting. Some of them, though, I mean, they would, you had to, you had to know the Da Vinci Code to uncover that thing and unfold it to find out how much that check was. And maybe our guys back there right now, you know, they're busy with that. Maybe we just give them something busy to do. But I think sometimes there was a motivation that I don't want anybody to see what I'm giving. Why? Because the left hand can't know what the right hand is doing. Or maybe it's also because I'm embarrassed and I wished I could give more. Whatever it is, as we used to say for years, and I want you to hear it, it's between you and God. You give what you have. And the verse in 2 Corinthians says... Everyone should give what they have purposed in their heart. Not because they're pressured to. Not because they feel compelled to. And finally, this one is the one that can be the most destructive. I have to give to be a good person. You know, we live with such material blessing in our world. And I I think the kind of material stuff that we have the bounty of material things that we have in our world may be unprecedented in the history of the world. Because not only do we keep treasures, we keep disposable things. I mean, we hold on to things that are meant to be thrown away. We were in one of the vintage antique stores the other day, and I saw all this stuff that my family over the years have thrown away. You know, things that were just trash, and now people want an outrageous sum of money for it. And people will actually buy that. So, for people who are concerned about what others don't have, you think at some point, you know, I'm going to have to give away everything because it's not right that I should have so much and others should have so little. I need to balance the scales we need to equalize it there's people starving out there and we're worried about counting calories there are people who don't have food and we have food that we waste and throw away we got to get this right and here's the thing all that starts out just like the temptations of the devil all that starts out with some pretty good ideas that we need to think about some things that are not wrong but at some point instead of it being about doing what God wants us to do in His name, it becomes about us proving that we are good people. Look at us, we give. Look at us, we share. I'm giving up all of this stuff. Why? So I can be a good person and give to those who don't have. So I'm going to give them all the junk that I don't want. I'm going to give them things. I'm going to deny myself. It's good to a certain extent. But when it's done out of pity... Or when it's done out of a need to affirm ourselves instead of being done out of love, it's slightly corrupted. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I suffer in my body, if I give my life up to the flames, and he's talking about sacrificing himself for others. Oh, what a wonderful person he is. He says, But if I do all that and I do not have love, then I'm nothing. I'm empty. Where this ends up is growing in the grace of giving and God ends up with us knowing that why we give 
How we're motivated to give is how much God has loved us and how much we can do in showing love for others. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in the spiritual habit of giving, not for our own sake, not to make a name for ourselves, not out of greed, not out of guilt, but Father, help us to understand the mystery and the depth of your love and to grow in that and in doing so to be set free from guilt, from greed and to give and to share all in the one name of Jesus Christ and all in the one spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ has given to us. What will you give to him? Have you given your life to him? As we sing this song, if you need to respond to God's invitation to share in his life, we'll be here ready to respond to you. Or we'll have elders here ready to pray with you or in the room right back there with the pews in it. Let's stand up. Let's sing together. Respond as you need.